Welcome to Innovating Music, a podcast from the UCLA Herb Alpert School of Music and the UCLA Center for Music Innovation. I'm your host, Dr. Gigi Johnson. Jason Robert takes us down the Bitcoin rabbit hole, introducing us to his new company, Hello Segoy, but also introducing us to the myriad details that make up a new Bitcoin business, which he calls a social movement disguised as technology. His new firm to sell tickets with Ethereum is mere weeks old when we record this, and he takes us through some of his challenges innovating in both Bitcoin and ticketing and music at the same time. So I was working with a lot of different bands in the Boston area and discovered music production in about, I think it was 2011, and was really intrigued with the low-end theory beat scene in Los Angeles, uh-huh. um, particularly Flying Lotus and Gaslamp Killer and Daddy Kev, a lot of the guys that were coming out of the, uh, the low-end theory scene. Um, and so I started following uh, more closely some of the production work that they were doing and became obsessed. And that's an understatement. Um, I was not really that interested in producing music on the computer um, until I kind of discovered sampling. And my brother, who's also a musician as well, uh, has been involved in music production on the computer for some time now. And he kind of showed me how to sample on Logic Pro. And it kind of blew my mind. And since then, I've been obsessively composing on the computer. I moved to Los Angeles. Uh, Shortly after moving to LA, I got signed to the True Thoughts label. Uh, As a matter of fact, I released a record two weeks ago, July 30, uh, sorry, June 30th, 2017, called Undefined, uh, which is really exciting. It's my second album on the True Thoughts label. Um, Let's see here. I've also composed music for BMG production music. So I've done a lot of work with some major TV shows on NBC and CBS, um, Showtime, um, et cetera, et cetera. And um, so that's been an interesting path, kind of uh, producing music for for TV and doing some film work. Um, I'm actually scoring a Netflix original series at the moment in production called We Speak Dance, uh, which is... A lot of work, but incredibly exciting and uh, a new challenge for me as a, as a composer. Um, about a year ago, I think this is July of 2016, I was interested in learning code. So I started. <laughs> like, like you didn't have enough things on your plate. <laughs> yeah, this is the abridged version of the story. Uh, I, could, I could certainly go on and on about a number of those, those bullet points. But to keep things moving. Yep, yep. Um, yeah, I. I was very interested in technology. I was working as a uh, creative at Apple part-time to kind of support myself while I was pursuing my, my production music career as lost. Let, let's as stop a mind. second because I went and read your blog post on your being a creative at Apple. And it's yeah. a different job than I would have thought. Yeah, so my, my role as a creative at Apple was, was teaching customers how to use Apple technology. And my specialty was music audio production, specifically Logic Pro. And I had the privilege of, of teaching people how to use that technology to express themselves musically. Um, in addition to that, I taught a lot of uh, more basic skill sets like how to use the web browser and how to use the track, how to use the trackpad. But also um, understand a lot about anything from user interface and how people work. And I was reading, yeah. I really love that 
blog post about Thank how you. trying to teach a blind person how to be using the interfaces. Yeah, that was an incredible challenge. Um, I had a, uh, a wonderful customer who was incredibly motivated to learn how to use her computer, and she was blind. So that was a tremendous challenge in terms of uh, me teaching someone with a disability like that, uh, in addition to understanding empathy on a much deeper level, um, which I think was the greatest lesson that I learned from my time at Apple is, is empathizing with people who don't understand technology or will perhaps have a disability in terms of their, their ability to learn. Um, and so it was a wonderful challenge, uh, my time there. I spent about four years at the Apple Store Beverly Center um, in Hollywood, which was, uh, I learned a lot through that experience and kind of inspired me to dive deeper into how technology is actually written, how to, how to speak to the computer and have it do all of these amazing things that I think many of us take for granted these days. So that kind of started my, my interest in, in learning how to code and building out my own uh, web applications. So how in the world did you end up at, how do you pronounce it, Sugi? Sugoi. Sugoi. Yes, hello, hello, Sugoi. Uh, Sugoi is a, is, a, is a Japanese word, uh, which means amazing. So we thought that was fitting for what we're doing uh, with this uh, leveraging blockchain technologies. Um, it's an interesting story. I was uh, learning to code on my own um, using the University of YouTube and <laughs> kind of got to a point in my studies where I felt I really needed some help from some more experienced developers. So I downloaded the Meetup app and started going to just about every coding meetup in Los Angeles. And that is where I landed on the Learn Teach Code meetup page, which is one of the largest meetups in, in LA. I think there are roughly 6,000 members now as of uh, July 2017. Wow. And uh, there I met my now co-founder, Angelo Pozo. I was uh, developing an API for Spotify. Um, I, was, I was exploring their API. I was trying to build a playlist generator uh, algorithm where you would enter a song and a Spotify playlist would be generated based on that song entry. And I was kind of stuck on some of the front-end components and went to this meetup, started picking this guy's brain, Angelo, that is. And we soon became friends, and he was able to solve a lot of the problems that I have almost instantly. He's a, he's a coding ninja, uh, if you will. And um, over the course of several months and me continuing to come to the meetup and learning from him, we started talking more in depth about interesting technologies like blockchain. I'm going to stop you right here on sure. two things. One is a basic one, which is we've had it mentioned and discussed in prior episodes. What's an API and why do we have APIs? An API is an application uh, programming interface, which enables developers to pull information from certain platforms. So in the example of Spotify, I was able to access some user data. Um, and song data. So I could essentially write some code that says access the artists um, who are other artists that are similar to this artist. Um, where are they located? More information, more metadata regarding certain artists who's listening to these artists. And then with that data, I can write in code that kind of parses that data to return certain elements. So that would basically enable me to write an algorithm 
that if I enter a song, it will search for that artist and related artists and generate a playlist based upon uh, the most related artists on the Spotify platform. So it's so. kind of a digital doorway and a handshake between that product and what you're trying to build? Exactly, exactly. So you're able to access their data um, in a limited way. Of course, they don't want to give up all of their, their information, but enables developers to play around with the massive amounts of data that uh, websites like Twitter and Facebook and Spotify collect from their users. And then the second obvious question I'm going to ask you, because we've had people start down this path and talk about it third hand about blockchain. And before you get too deep into talking about the company, can you give us just a real primer on what the heck blockchain is? <laughs> well, blockchain, we can go down this rabbit hole. It's uh, a very unique, interesting, cutting edge, uh, dare I say, revolutionary technology. Um, it is essentially a distributed database um, that is used to maintain a continuously growing list of records, uh, which are called blocks. Um, and each block contains a timestamp and a link to a previous block. And the idea is to create a database that is decentralized and a record-keeping system, if you will where everyone who participates in maintaining the record-keeping system validates the authenticity of those transactions. What does that so there's mean? No, well, what it means is there's no centralized um, authority. So at the moment, we have companies that own these databases that collect user information. Um, like a bank, for example. If you look at a bank, what does a bank do? A bank records transactions uh, between people who have money. And this system, as opposed to a central bank controlling the database, the database is distributed amongst these different nodes. Um, and a node is essentially a computer. And you just download some software and you run a node. And every single time a transaction happens on the blockchain, these nodes validate that transaction using asymmetric elliptical curve encryption, just some what? fancy math. What? what? What's that? <laughs> some fancy math. <laughs> Basically fancy math that, that acts as a, as a trust system. So on, on the highest possible level, uh, blockchain enables the exchange of digital assets over the internet without any intermediaries. So no central banks, no central governments or corporations acting as the third-party trust the trust is programmed into the network itself um, using with, with massive redundancies. That's correct. Okay. Yep. So the it, it it's a it's a marketplace and recording device and transaction clearinghouse at the same time. Yeah, it's it's many more than much more than just that. Uh, the applications for blockchain are are pretty widespread. Um, but essentially, yes, it is a distributed record-keeping system, um, which is dis disintermediated. So there's no the, the trust is in the network itself, and it's spread out amongst all of these different nodes across the world. So there's no central point of failure. It kind of runs on its own autonomously and becomes very difficult for anyone to kind of change the record. So it keeps this record in a really interesting way that's distributed immutable, which means it cannot be changed, and it's transparent. So all of the transactions 
can be seen by anyone on the network. And there are a couple of websites that you can go to um, to view the, the various transactions that happen on the blockchain. And there's many blockchains? Yes, there are. As a matter of fact, Bitcoin is the first blockchain, which was released in January of 2009 by an anonymous character known as Satoshi Nakamoto and as an open source software. And that's the original blockchain, the OG blockchain. Um, I'm currently building on top of the Ethereum blockchain, which is kind of the new and improved version of Bitcoin, which enables entrepreneurs and developers to create decentralized applications leveraging these things called smart contracts that sit on top of the blockchain. Um, there are, of course, many other blockchains or altcoins, and an altcoin is essentially a fork of the Bitcoin blockchain, which is basically we're going to take some of the blockchain's code, make some improvements, and call it something else. Um, so you have quite a few of those that have launched since 2009. Uh, Ethereum, which, which I'm building on top of, was uh, released in 2015. So it's, it's very new technology, very early stage, uh, akin to the internet in, let's say, 1993. Um, and very, very exciting for entrepreneurs like myself who are looking to create uh, this, this new internet infrastructure that Ethereum uh, is bringing to the, to the world. So you went from working on a API-based Spotify uh, playlisting concept to then looking at blockchain with music. What attracted you to it and what were your sort of first steps on moving forward in this area of innovation? When I was introduced to the concept of blockchain, um, I did some research on my own to find out more about it. And it was incredibly confusing because it's not an intuitive technology. Um, However, it applies to the music industry in so many different ways. And that's when I really began or became attracted to the technology is its applications to help uh, innovate and revolutionize the music industry um, regarding royalty payments, transparency, uh, disintermediation. There's a lot of people with their hands out uh, in the music industry taking a cut out of the art that's produced. Um, I believe that iTunes takes something like 70% of the 99 cent download. Um, well, and most retailers on any front, though, take a chunk of change for providing the ecosystem and service and credit card fees and all that fun stuff. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. And the blockchain enables, uh, in theory and in practice, there's, it's still very new, but there's, there's been um, some progress in that, that field recently. It allows for a more peer-to-peer transactional uh, transaction of, of, of uh, digital copyrights mm-hmm. or intellectual property. So there's four very important applications for blockchain um, it, it, that's currently being explored. So one would be uh, as a network database for music copyright information. Um, another would be facilitating fast uh, frictionless royalty payments. Um, it offers transparency through the value chain and provides access to alternative sources of capital for artists who are looking to fund a tour or an album. How does it um, do that? Well, what you're able to do is essentially sell a coin or create a coin, let's say a band coin, or for the example of my artist name, a lost, a lost Midas coin. And this coin could essentially have a utility for the fans. 
So you come to a show and by coming to the show, you earn certain lost Midas coins that can be traded for discounted merchandise or backstage passes or pre-sale tickets to shows that I'm throwing. And the coin grows in value. So in a sense, uh, much like a stock, uh, fans can invest in the success of a artist that they, that they love. And as that artist grows and sell out more shows and sell more albums or their streams uh, pick up into the millions, they also uh, earn some amount of income or some amount of value from the tokens that they hold. So right now, I think independent musicians are entrepreneurs. However, not many of us think of ourselves as entrepreneurs. And the blockchain could enable uh, almost kind of a like a series or a seed or series A, series B for raising capital on the blockchain uh, from crowdsourcing. You know, think of um, something like Benji Rogers' project. Uh, he's got uh, pledge uh, pledge music mm-hmm. and and Kickstarter, uh, but but in this way, it's through cryptocurrencies instead, which offers uh, the, the greater level of transparency and immutability, and you can kind of help to fund the artists that you love but also earn coins yourself that can be traded for other goods and services. But it's assuming that there is a liquidity and there's, in some cases, a fairly volatile marketplace under these things. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Keep in mind, the disclaimer here is that a lot of this is speculative. Mm -hmm. And and a lot of this is early stage development. And many of us in the blockchain space are pioneering and experimenting with what's possible. Uh, there's there's some serious scalability issues that the community is currently facing, but the promise for some of these value propositions in helping artists earn uh, more of their of their earn more money and earn a fair wage is really exciting, especially coming from the perspective of an artist myself and having been signed to a few label deals and kind of seen both sides of the industry. Uh, the promise of these technologies is 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 high, and that that's what gets me so excited about it. Um, now there are certainly some roadblocks and and some barriers to entry in terms of taking on the incumbents, which some some of them are embracing this new technology, and others are fearful uh, of of what it could possibly do in terms of creating an alternative uh, music economy based on the blockchain. But again, a lot of this is is speculative and uh, experimental, and there's a lot of growth and development to happen. But it's interesting enough for guys like me to come through and uh, try to try to innovate on top of that and get people excited about this new technology. So tell tell us about then your current adventure. What is it that you're doing with blockchain with tickets? Yes. So I am leveraging the Ethereum blockchain, which we talked about just a bit before, mm-hmm. to sell tickets. Um, and what we're doing is basically trying to reduce the fees, uh, convenient fees, or that's that's what the, the ticketing companies call them. I I love that phrase, right? Convenience fees <laughs> for who, right? Yeah. I like to, I like to call them inconvenience fees, which are upwards of twenty five to sometimes fifty percent on top of the ticket that you're paying as a fan. So that's a major pain point for the industry right now are these inconvenience fees. Um, another one would be the leaky bucket that is the secondary market, where upwards of five billion dollars a year goes into the pockets of scalpers and is lost to the artists and promoters who organize the events. 
And the third thing that we're trying to solve is, is fraud, fraudulent tickets. So tickets that end up on secondary market sites um, that have been double spent. And we're trying to uh, create a system that, that authenticates the verifies the authenticity of the tickets, which is inherent to the blockchain technology. Um, so kind of what happens is, let's say a, a large uh, ticket primary market platform like Ticketmaster is selling tickets to an Adele show. And so they, they issue tickets for, let's say, the Staples Center. And these bots that are programmed by these ticket brokers go and buy up hundreds of tickets. They essentially corner the primary market and that that makes it very difficult for actual fans to go to these shows. And then what happens is is that these tickets end up on the secondary markets, uh, sometimes three to four, five times the price of the primary market sale. Um, now, what's interesting here is that the primary ticket sellers don't really care who buys the tickets. They just care about the tickets getting sold. So it doesn't matter if it's a human or a bot. They don't care. They're still getting their 25%. Are there other people who have looked to come in with a blockchain-type solution to the ticketing space? Because I've been hearing about blockchain in so many other spaces. I mean, you've got, I mentioned Benji a minute ago. What is the sort of secret sauce here, and how and why would artists choose to come with your great startup? Well, what we're able to do is promise affordable ticket prices for the fans, a safe and secure ticket resale or transfer, and 100% guaranteed ticket verification. So what we're able to do, especially when it comes to the secondary markets, is capture the value that is otherwise lost to scalpers and funnel that back to the value creators, the artists and the event organizers. So what the blockchain enables us to do by leveraging these Ethereum smart contracts is essentially program rules into the behavior of the ticket. And we can track the ticket's life cycle from the primary market sale all the way to validation at the door. Um, we can work with event promoters who would like to eliminate any secondary market sales. So we can write in a smart, smart contract to say that this ticket price is going to be $100 and you could gift transfer the ticket. You could try to resell it for something more, but because we have rules that are sitting on the blockchain that govern the behavior of the sale of that ticket, it stays fixed at $100. And some artists really like that. They don't want the secondary market to exist, um, and certainly some promoters as well. But for those that want the secondary market to exist, we can kind of regulate it and uh, divide splits or essentially program splits into the ticket that whenever it is sold, uh, the money goes back to the artists and the promoters. And that, in a sense, uh, de-incentivizes, disincentivizes the scalpers because they could try to resell a ticket for twice as much, three times as much as the face value, but that money is essentially going back to the artists and back to the promoters. Now, certain fans might be okay with that because they know that the money is going directly back to the artists uh, it provides transparency in the system, so anyone can check to see how much a ticket was resold for, um, and that is to the benefit of those who are looking to kind of understand the ticket flow, the ticket life cycle, if you will, and the blockchain provides that transparency, which is really interesting. Um, and we're able to write these smart contracts and deploy them to the blockchain and essentially step away. 
because the smart the smart contracts are autonomous. Once the contract has been written and deployed to the Ethereum mainnet, uh, we as developers can kind of step away and let it do its thing um, in an immutable kind of way, which right now it's very opaque. The system is opaque. We don't quite know how much certain people are getting paid and whatnot. And some people may want to keep it that way. And we're, we're looking at various solutions to kind of obscure some of that data depending upon the sensitivity of the money exchanged. But yes, we're, we're trying to make it better for promoters, fans, and artists and capture more of the value that is typically lost uh, due to the secondary market sale. So when did you launch? Well, we launched roughly two weeks ago. Yay! Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to okay. June of 2017. What have uh, you been your biggest challenges in getting ready for the launch and in launching? Well, there's no precedent set. There are only a few other companies in the world that are tackling this issue, leveraging blockchain to solve the very broken ticketing industry. Um, so we're kind of pioneering this 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 world. One of the difficulties currently is that in order for the system to work in the way that I've said, it requires the fan or the ticket buyer to have holdings of ether. And that can be an inconvenience for some people. Now there are certain enthusiasts that are okay with going to an exchange like Coinbase and trading their fiat currency or dollar bills for ether, uh, which is the currency of the Ethereum blockchain and then attaching their digital wallet to a MetaMask, which essentially transforms your Chrome browser into uh, an Ethereum network. Um, all of this stuff is very technical and seems very abstract. Well, it also uh, seems like it seems like a lot of friction for your quote-unquote average music fan. Absolutely, and we're very well aware of that. Um, at the moment, we are working with a third-party company up in the San Francisco Bay Area that is providing a solution for decentralized uh, protocols like ourselves or, or uh, decentralized applications, dApps for short, uh, where... <laughs> <laughs> There's got to be yet another acronym here, right? Yet another, another tech code. Yeah, dApps. So we're... Uh, Hello Segoy is a dApp, and this company is providing a credit card payment solution. So essentially the idea of using the blockchain is obscured behind pretty user interfaces, um, you can simply enter your credit card information, and we do all of the exchange on the back end. That is the end goal. Right now, our product doesn't have that built-in capability. Um, Reid Hoffman, CEO and founder of uh, LinkedIn, said that if you're not embarrassed by the first version of your product, you ship too late. Our product is very new, and there are some high barriers to entry here, but at the moment, we're marketing our product to tech conventions. Um, as a matter of fact, our first use case is coming up in two weeks in July, uh, on July 22nd, uh, 2017 in downtown Los Angeles at, at Cross Campus, which is this beautiful co-working space. And it's called the State of Digital Money. A lot of the top dogs in the fintech world will be in attendance, and they already own Bitcoin and they already own Ether. So for them to use our system, it kind of makes sense. Uh, we understand that it may be three, four, five, six months, maybe even a few years down the road before our system works in the same way from the user's perspective as, let's say, Eventbrite. But once we kind of get there, uh, I think 
people will see the benefits of how much how much money they're saving um, and how much more money can be captured uh, for the artists and event organizers. So for our listeners to the podcast, you're on the sneak peek front end of being able to watch an adventure in action, and you can track and see what happens with this. Uh, what have been your biggest surprises so far in getting ready for the launch and even post-launch? I'm surprised by how many people want to help us, by how many artists and promoters. Um, I'd like to name some names at the moment. I'm not able to do so. But there are some, in, there are some industry leaders, uh, some incumbents that are incredibly interested in what we're doing, some early adopters who have uh, taken it upon themselves to understand the technology and contact us to try to learn more about how we can help disrupt the, the, the current status quo of the event ticketing industry. Um, the speed with which this has happened has, has kind of blown my mind. And I feel like we're living at 200 miles per hour right now. And I'm just barely able to keep up with the inflow of emails and text messages and um, Twitter posts and whatnot kind of streaming our way since we are essentially the first company in the world to leverage Ethereum to sell a ticket. And as a result of that, it's kind of created this buzz amongst others in the industry who are looking at these decentralized technologies to help uh, innovate and revolutionize the, the music industry as a whole. Um, again, it's, it's very early stage. Um, so those that are the early adopters are interested in getting in at the ground level and helping us build out our protocol um, which is incredibly exciting to have that kind of interest so quick, so soon into the game, in that we've only released or launched our product not more than a few weeks ago. Um, so that that's been surprising and, and and very exciting when you when you kind of step out into this world and are are innovating and creating something new. You never know who's gonna if anyone is even gonna want to use this system <laughs> or notice uh, that you've come through the door or notice that we've come through the door exactly. And we've very quickly been able to garner this 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 attention. Um, I'm certainly leveraging my contacts in the music industry and getting as many artist friends that I know uh, excited about this this decentralized world that we're building. Um, blockchain is essentially a revolution or essentially a social movement disguised as technology that falls into and falls in alignment with a lot of the belief systems of of artists who want to see a fairer, freer, more open world. And so I think on that level, uh, we've garnered the attention of some of these artists because we align with their value systems on, on a very high level. And we now have a an online technology that aligns with the incentives of a lot of offline thinking that artists tend to represent. Artists are, are more forward-thinking people, and they're willing to kind of go out and explore new technologies and, and try to make the world a better place as a result of that. Being being the first to market has kind of helped us garner this this kind of attention, which has been really overwhelming and really wonderful, and we're, we're looking to grow really fast. So it's exciting times, for sure. What else do you see, because you're stepping into, and you've stepped into several spaces where it's sort of new combinations of tech and music. Uh, what do you see needs to come up the pike or what new innovations are you seeing coming most recently there's a artist producer dj called rack rac who has partnered with ujo music 
And Ujo Music is a really interesting platform. Um, what they are doing is building a home for artists that allow them to own and control their creative content um, and be paid directly for sharing their musical talents with the world. And RAC has been the first person to leverage the Ethereum blockchain to release an album, uh, which is incredibly exciting. Um, so you're starting to see real artists with real fan bases, these influencers, come on board. And what they're able to do is get press from non-blockchain-centric uh, media outlets. I believe Vice Motherboard released an article about Ujo Music's partnership with this, with this artist. Yep. Um, and that is spreading the word much beyond just the echo chamber that is the blockchain space. And that, that's essentially what uh, my co-founder Angelo and I are trying to do is create a system that is friendly for the consumer where eventually blockchain doesn't even matter. Blockchain is just this really cool plumbing that enables these exciting new uh, value transfers. You're going to see in the next three and a half to five years a widespread consumer adoption of these technologies. And that's, that's what we're trying to do is facilitate that adoption. Um, by creating more social awareness. So I think that down the pike, you're going to start to see more people getting involved, more people seeing real use cases for this technology. And you're going to start to see artists who have uh, broad social media reach, lots of fans, um, talking about this technology and planting that seed. Now, again, it may be some time before the average consumer is comfortable going to an exchange and purchasing uh, cryptocurrency, but it's got to start with these influencers. It's got to start somewhere. And so I think you're going to start to see many more people looking to leverage blockchain technologies. And by people, I mean artists um, to sell tickets to their shows, to release their albums, and having having someone like uh, like Rack like RAC involved in this space is, is a big win for those of us that are trying to bring this technology to the mainstream. And uh, it, it just takes one, and I, th I believe many others will start to follow uh, once, once the technology is kind of more developed uh, and easier to use for the consumer. So in addition to Rack and Ujo Music, are there one or two other organizations or companies that you're really intrigued or excited about right now? Yeah, Jack is another company, J-A-A-K, um, and they connect songs, films, and TV shows directly to the artists, producers, writers, and organizations that create, own, and distribute them. So they're using blockchain in a similar way to, uh, to Ujo Music to uh, pr provide a, create a platform for content creators to upload their material and uh, license it out in a transparent, open, and immutable way. I know those guys, they're based in London in the UK. They're a fantastic team of innovators. Uh, it's really exciting to see them grow. They were part of the uh, LA Techstars Music Accelerator. Ah, yes. And that's, that's kind of how I got to meet those guys when they were in Los Angeles. Uh, really wonderful bunch of, uh, bunch of guys that are, are trying to, to innovate the space and, and bring it to a more mainstream audience. Um, another wonderful company is called uh, Resonate, which is a streaming music cooperative, uh, which is built by and for musicians all over the world. And it is a an alternative to Spotify in that it is a stream-to-own model, which is really interesting. They believe that paying $10 a month for a streaming service when you listen to only 1% to 2% of the music 
on those platforms doesn't make much sense. So they're trying to leverage blockchain to track what music is being listened to. And after a certain number of listens, the consumer will actually own that bit of content, uh, which is a really cool, innovative model. Um, they've been around for a little bit. I've been kind of following their progress. Um, they're, they're definitely an exciting uh, group of people. So those those would be some of the main projects. Of course, you have, uh, as we mentioned before, Benji Rogers has uh, dot blockchain music. And what he's trying to do is to create a, uh, a global standard file structure, file um, system, kind of like a dot MP3, but dot blockchain, where before you send the song off to the um, to the masses, inside the file, you have all of the metadata that's been tracked or that essentially determines the splits, who wrote the song, what percentage they get, uh, where is the song composed, who produced the track, uh, who's the label, the manager, all of this information. Because right now it's a, it's a mess. There's all sorts of various metadata and you can download a song onto your iTunes and they allow you to change the album artwork and iTunes libraries are just a mess. I can certainly speak to that. My own iTunes library has like track one, track two, track three, duplicate a million times. It's just a huge mess. And what he's trying to do is standardize that and create a, a global database for musicians so that everything is tracked on the blockchain. Um, Benji's a wonderful guy, a uh, very, very fascinating guy to talk to and, and a leader in the space and bringing this technology to the, the music industry mainstream. You cover the waterfront. So you are an artist, you are a creator, you are a technologist, and you are um, writing on the edge of innovation right now. Any last thoughts as we wrap up the podcast? Yeah, I would like to encourage your listeners to explore the possibilities of blockchain technologies beyond just the music industry. Um, this can affect all sorts of various industries from uh, Internet of Things, to supply chain management, to healthcare systems, to self-sovereign identity management systems, uh, to self, self-sovereign self governance and voting on the blockchain. Owning your own data and having control of your own data. That's right. That's right. So in, in a world where the data that's collected is siloed in these databases that are owned by major corporations to which we do not have access, this world would allow you as the user of these technologies to control the information and data that you send out to the network. And you're going to see a lot of really interesting innovations over the next three to five years in this technology. Especially coming and out of Europe. Especially coming out of Europe, which is which is blockchain friendly, and Asia. Japan is... Oh, interesting. Uh, uh, Japan is very friendly to Bitcoin. Um, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say now in uh, in July 2017 that in 10 years time uh, I believe there will be not one person on this planet unaffected by blockchain technologies and I think it's a it's a wonderful revolution and the airplane of the 21st century. Well, thank you, Jason, for both joining us and sharing your adventures with us. We're going to be following what you're doing musically now. Musically, we find you as. As Lost Midas, you can check me out at lostmidas.com. That's L-O-S-T-M-I-D-A-S. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Lost Midas as well. Great. And we will follow your uh, blockchain and uh, music uh, adventures as we go. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. 
Well, that wraps up this podcast. Many thanks to the UCLA Herb Alpert School of Music and the UCLA Center for Music Innovation for being our hosts of this ongoing series. You can subscribe to us in all the usual places, or you can come find us at innovation.schoolofmusic.ucla.edu. Join us again to follow the other adventures that we will be tracking down in innovating music. Thanks again. Thanks for listening. You have found one of our adventures now in the Marimel Podcast Network. You can find our shows everywhere that you listen to podcasts. We've got Amplify Music Conversations from the Amplify Music Conferences during the pandemic, Creative Innovators, and now Innovating Music. If you're interested in following up with us in any of these shows, please reach out on our websites, and you can find those in the show notes.